Hi, everyone. Welcome to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse along with you this weekend from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. The hot stove heating up throughout baseball as one of the great events on the baseball calendar, certainly for the offseason, the baseball winter meetings took place this past week down in suburban Washington, D.C. Joining us to talk about it on this week's show will be Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com and the MLB Network. And Anthony says while the Indians didn't make any official moves in the transaction column, they got a lot of good things done. You can make an argument, Rosie, that they were one of the winners of the winter meetings because for a couple of reasons. One, their division got weaker. Um, and it wasn't just the White Sox. It was, you know, the Royals traded Wade Davis. Uh, and then also the way the, the bat market developed and some surprises there. Um, I mean, Ian Desmond going to Colorado was, was a really big stunner. And uh, basically what's happening is there's just too many bats out there and not enough obvious homes for them. In addition to our visit with Anthony Castorvince, we'll also have our look back at a 2016 game of the week and have much more as we get rolling with Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. And obviously, if you are listening right now, you have found us. A couple of ways to do it on the Indians Radio Network, WTAM out of Cleveland, most Saturdays late afternoon, and also WAKR in Akron picking up the show, as well as some others on the Indians Radio Network. Check your local listings for showtimes on the weekends in your area. Other ways to hear Tribe Talk, go to Indians.com. You can pick it up right there in the video audio uh, ribbon board that drops down. Uh, You'll find it right there. And also on iTunes, you can find it under Cleveland Indians Podcast. So a lot of different ways to listen to Tribe Talk each week. Well, big focus on this week's show will be the winter meetings, and shortly we will hear from Anthony Castrovince from MLB Network and also MLB.com, a former Indians beat reporter, now on a much more national scope, and he does great work, as always, covering the winter meetings. But just a quick recap of the things that went on, the notable transactions from the winter meetings, which officially began on Monday, and uh, some of the big news Monday, Carlos Beltran signing as a free agent with the Houston Astros. Also, Rich Hill re-signing with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So that was some of the, the big news made on Monday. Then Tuesday, it really, really got rolling with the trade of Chris Sale from the White Sox to the Red Sox for a package of outstanding prospects going to Chicago, including Juan Moncada, uh, a tremendous infielder for Uh, the Red Sox farm system, at least right now, but a potential tremendous addition for the White Sox. Also, uh, some good pitching prospects acquired as well. Travis Shaw going from the Red Sox to the Milwaukee Brewers with others for right-handed pitcher Tyler Thornburg. And Mark Sepchinski, a name from the past for the Indians, along with Joaquin Benoit, they signed some free agent deals with different clubs. Sepchinski with the Mariners, Benoit with the Phillies, for big dollars, showing that uh, there is certainly a demand for top-shelf relief pitching. And then on Wednesday, Wade Davis going from the Kansas City Royals to the Chicago Cubs for Jorge Soler. And it appears as if the Royals are beginning to make some moves that um, they saw coming with some contracts due after they made that great run that included a World Series championship in 2015 
Uh, Davis, perhaps the first of several pieces that will be moved in an effort to control payroll by the uh, by the Kansas City Royals. So he's moved to the Chicago Cubs. The Yankees signing outfielder Matt Holliday to a free agent contract. And the other big trade that was made on Wednesday, Adam Eaton going from the White Sox to the Washington Nationals for an outstanding package of prospects as well. A lot of folks saying that the White Sox won the winter meetings, even though they don't figure to contend this season because of losing some veterans and acquiring a lot of youth, most of which will not be ready at the major league level just yet. Well, when we come back, we'll hear from Anthony Casterbents and get his thoughts on the winter meetings, some of the moves that were made, weren't made, the Indians in the mix, nothing official, but some good groundwork laid, and we've seen in years past that has been a real nice method of operations for the Indians, especially a season ago when they acquired Mike Napoli and Rajay Davis after the winter meetings, and they proved to be big keys during the season. So stay with us. More to come as Tribe Talk continues on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. We are joined now by Anthony Castrovitz from MLB.com, also the MLB Network, former Indians beat writer for Indians.com. Anthony, as always at the winter meetings, providing great coverage for the dot-com, so to speak. And, uh, Anthony, you were down just outside Washington, D.C. for the week. And I think as winter meetings go, a couple of good splashes with the Chris Sale trade and the Araldis Chapman signing, but uh, pretty much run-of-the-mill meetings in terms of, of your basic couple of good moves and then kind of wait and see what happens now for a lot of teams? Yeah, I thought it was uh, I thought it was like kind of the perfect winter meetings, Rosie. Things were spaced out just enough like uh you just start to get over the chris sale trade then boom there's the adam eaton trade you know there's a nice spacing to things it was nice uh anytime a, a pitcher of chris sales ill comes off the board that's that's kind of what you hope for out of an event like that you want to see some activity and um you know obviously some years are more active than others but um you know, a few big trades wade davis of course i mentioned the eaton one uh so it was it was uh at a time in the industry where there's just a lot of creativity right now and a lot of trade discussion, it was good to see some some things actually get done. Surprised it was the right uh, the Red Sox that picked up sale. Yes and no. Um, you know they weren't a team typically tied to sale uh, in, in the trade discussion. They actually, uh, I, I believe, the first phone call there was the Friday before the meetings. Um, but I, I say not surprised just because that's how Dave Dombrowski tends to operate. Um, you know, he can be really aggressive when he wants something, he goes right after it. But a lot of times when he makes the big deal like that, it's, it's where he kind of swoops in seemingly out of nowhere and, and kind of under the radar and then gets his man. Uh, he did that when the, when the Tigers traded for David Price, he did it when the Tigers traded for Miguel Cabrera and he does it here, uh, with Chris Sale trade. And, um, it, it's one of those things where they didn't have necessarily an obvious need in the rotation. Uh, you know, they were, they were full, but, um, and now they have the opportunity to go make a move on top of this and, and move a piece, maybe a clay Buckholz. but, um, obviously when it's a picture of, of sales caliber and, and you have the trade pieces to pull it off, it's something you at least have to consider and you got it done. And when you look at the White Sox and certainly the, the Indians and their fans keep close watch on Chicago being a divisional opponent. Sale, Eaton already moved, and that would seem to indicate that there's much more to come. If you're going to to do what the White Sox appear to be doing, uh, you don't want to go halfway on this, do you? No, you don't. And uh, Jose Quintana would be their most valuable trade chip now. 
Um, but, you know, they set the bar pretty high with the Chris Sale trade. And, and Kitana even comes with an extra another year of contractual control, uh, four years instead of Sale's three. So uh, he's not quite the pitcher that Sale is, but the, the value is definitely there uh, from a trade perspective. So it could it could be tough to match up there and, and to get a deal similar to what you got for Sale. Uh, but, yeah, they got other pieces, of course, you know, Todd Frazier. Uh, David Robertson makes a lot of sense uh, to move here as as the top closers come off the board in free agency. You know, he could be a guy teams then pivot to in the trade market. So, yeah, they're, they're definitely not done shopping. And um, boy, Rosie, they're going to be really good, really good in a couple of years uh, with the pieces they brought back. Yohan Moncada is basically big league ready at this point. Um, and and the, the arms they got that are basically big league ready or, or about to get their audition. And Lucas Giolito, Reynaldo Lopez, they, they're building something really special there. And when you look at it from that perspective, is that where the game is right now in terms of a lot of the experts saying the White Sox won the winter meetings, <laughs> but you're looking at uh, perhaps two, three years down the road before you see that impact? Yeah, I mean, we almost pay more attention now to uh, the team bringing in the prospects than we do the team that made the trade in the first place. Um you know, the, the, the White Sox did seem to head a lot of people's, uh, you know, quote-unquote winners list from this winter meetings. But, you know, obviously the Red Sox got a really good pitcher. And the Nationals, they took a lot of grief for what they gave up for Adam Eaton. But they got a really good player who's under control at a very reasonable price for five years. And they, they shored up a position of need. And they improved themselves in the infield even with that move because then they moved Trey Turner to shortstop. So, um, you know, I wasn't quite as down on that move from their perspective as some other people were. I get that they gave up a lot, but um, prospects ultimately are prospects, and they, they still have a lot to prove at the major league level. Those guys, uh, Giolito and Lopez, did have some struggles at the major league level in 2016, so uh, we'll see how it translates. But, um, but yeah, there, there's such a, a prospect emphasis in the game uh, among fans. You know, fans are just more prospect aware than they were a decade or two decades ago, and that's just kind of where the game is. Anthony Castrovince joining us, MLB.com columnist, as well as uh, works for the MLB Network. And Anthony was at the winter meetings. Uh, from the tribe perspective for the Cleveland Indians, uh, no concrete moves made, but uh, a lot of chatter about who they were supposedly in on in terms of, of discussing. Uh, and Edwin Encarnacion's name, uh, the biggest that was brought up, Mike Napoli still out there as well. Uh, what do you make of, of all the, the chatter around the Indians and some players that maybe you normally wouldn't think they would be in on that apparently they were? Well, you won't see the Indians on anybody's uh, winter meetings winners list, but you can make an argument, Rosie, that they were one of the winners of the winter meetings because for a couple of reasons. One, their division got weaker, um, and it wasn't just the White Sox. It was you know the Royals traded Wade Davis. Um, and they brought back Jorge Soler, who's got a lot of upside potentially, um, but, but a lot to prove in the outfield. And, and they weakened what was once their strength in the bullpen. So, um, and the Tigers didn't do anything. They didn't move any bodies like, like we thought they might. But I think there's a really tough spot uh, to move some of those contracts. But, but clearly, you know, the division is shifting. Um, and you got teams scaling back in Chicago and Kansas City. Kansas City's trying to pair payroll. And the Tigers aren't done trying to pair payroll. And, and if anything, they're not adding on. So they're going to have some depth issues. Um, so basically, the, the division is right there for the taking for the Indians once again, uh, looking at 2017. So I, I think they were in, in good shape on that front. And then also the way the, the bat market developed and some surprises there, 
Um, I mean, Ian Desmond going to Colorado was, was a really big stunner. And uh, basically what's happening is there's just too many bats out there and not enough obvious homes for them. So, you know, creativity always reigns this time of year and, and, and people move people around or, or uh, squeeze somebody in a lineup that, that doesn't it, where it didn't seem necessarily obvious. Uh, and, and Desmond's an example of that. But um, but right now you, you see a game of musical chairs playing out that, that could play right in the Indians hands. Um, I don't think that like a guy like Encarnacion at his age uh, with the draft pick attached with the defensive questions, you know, how much can you play him at first base? Uh, I don't I don't think he's for a team like the Indians in their budget parameters. I don't think he's worth a, a 60, 70, 80 million dollar contract. But uh, you know, I think if it's at that range, then, then certainly let somebody else do that. But if it's one of those deals where, where his market continues to crumble and, and right now it doesn't look particularly robust, um, you know, it, it could be a guy who falls in their hands. Anthony Castrovince joining us, MLB.com, MLB Network. Just back from the winter meetings, uh, we mentioned uh, the glut of DH first base types. Relievers, man, some of the contracts relievers are getting, <laughs> whether it be Araldis Chapman or some others. I was uh, shocked at how much Mark Zepchinski got, not someone that they yeah. think about too much, but obviously Indians fans have a knowledge of, of what he can do when he's going well. But, uh, boy, it seems like there's a premium on, on top shelf back end of the bullpen pitchers. Yeah, I mean, Indians are one of those teams that, that need left-handed relief help, and uh, Brent Cecil really set that market high with his four-year deal. Uh, and then you mentioned Zepchinski got a multi-year deal with the Mariners, which is just he's just not a guy you would normally expect to get to get multiple years. Um, so, yeah, it just kind of shows where that's at. It doesn't even have to be at the top end of the spectrum like an Araldis Chapman getting $86 million for the Yankees. It's even guys like that, uh, you know, surprising us. Uh, with, with two years instead of one. So, yeah, relief, uh, it just goes to show that the Indians were right to pay the price they did to, to bring in Andrew Miller uh, at the trade deadline. You even think, um, you kind of reflect back on it, and, and the Nationals need at that time. It's If they were willing up to give up the guys they gave up for Adam Eaton, maybe they should have given up from Andrew Miller a few months ago instead. Uh, maybe that would have been a better option for them. But um, And then it also speaks to the trade value of Andrew Miller, which I don't expect the Indians to explore, but, Geez, he would be a he'd be a mighty valuable trade chip. So, um, so by and large, the the Indians are in pretty good shape in their bullpen, but they they could use some left-handed relief. But it's just a it, it's one of those markets that's interesting because you also never know where the next great reliever is going to come from. Many times, it's a failed starting prospect or or some guy who just finds some mechanical tweak or a tweak in his approach that 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 allows him to take off. Uh, Andrew Miller is a prime example of a, of a failed starter who, who became a, a reliever a little bit later in life and, and has now blossomed into one of the elite talents in the game. So um, while you understand teams paying a premium in this environment for that, you also remember that sometimes these guys kind of fall out of the trees and, and uh, land in your lap. So we'll see. And Chapman to the Yankees, I think, is interesting at that money it seemed like, especially when the Indians were in New York last year, right around the time where A-Rod was retiring and, and they were going younger, that that might be the direction they take for a little while anyway. Were you surprised that they, they invested so much in, in a closer based on where supposedly they are right now in, in retooling? Yeah, I mean, how many rebuilding, retooling teams give out $86 million contracts to a reliever? But, um, you know, they said at the time they traded him, they'd, they'd like to bring him back. He said he'd like to come back. So certainly a relationship there. And, you know, maybe they think they'll be one of those frisky teams where if a lot of those young bats kind of take off in 2017, 
you know, they can take off right alongside them. And having the, the super bullpen in the back with Batances and Chapman, that does take some of the pressure off of what is a pretty iffy rotation, especially from a health standpoint. Um, you know, Tanaka is, is probably their most dependable starter, and, and he's got a, a, a partial tear at his elbow ligament. So um, it just kind of shows where they're at in that rotation. But um, I don't see them doing any other drastic moves in free agency, but uh, I, I, they just value Chapman that much, and they value having that super bullpen that much. I just hope it doesn't uh, – or yeah, I just wonder if it does come back to bite them in a couple of years. I mean, is Chapman still going to be throwing 103 at the end of that deal? I don't know. But uh, but for now, he's obviously a, a very special piece in the back end of a bullpen, and, and maybe it makes him a frisky contender. If you think about it, Rosie, they basically got Glaber Torres, one of the top prospects in the game, uh, for nothing because they weren't going anywhere in 2016, and they knew that. So they traded Chapman and the Cubs, bring back Torres and other pieces, and then they re-signed Chapman. So it all worked out. Amazing how it, it always seems to for them <laughs> some, <laughs> somehow or some way. Other teams just scramble, 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 and, and uh, certain things happen in New York, that's for sure. Well, the winter meetings have concluded. Uh, obviously, a, a, lot of, a lot of deals made, uh, a lot of groundwork laid. Uh, I know you go there for almost a week, Anthony. Any, anything funny, that uh, amusing <laughs> to you that happened that, that stood out over the course of the, of the five or six days? Uh, I'm trying to think, Rosie. I mean, uh, I saw a Brian Kenny book signing that was kind of snaking through the lobby. Uh, so a lot of a lot of fans of, of Brian Kenny's work at the network, or or maybe they just like Rocky Six that much. He had a little cameo on Rocky Six. But uh, no, I mean, you always see interesting things. Uh, you know, the, the lobby is always a, a percolating place with job seekers and whatnot. This was a pretty good setup, I, I must say, this year. It was. Uh, I don't know if it's a place I'd want to go for vacation. Uh, National Harbor, Maryland, just across the Potomac from D.C. Because uh, it, it's basically a, a development uh, that that has become its own little city. But for our purposes, the winter meetings or, or a work convention, it worked out pretty well. We actually got to get outside of the hotel and breathe fresh air on occasion. If you want to go get something to eat, there's a bunch of stuff right there. So it was a good setup. Well, a lot of good things coming out of this year's winter meetings. And Anthony Castrovince is always great to have you on and report on the goings-on at uh, that big meeting of uh, all of baseball every December. Thanks so much for coming by and enjoy the holiday season, Anthony. All right, Rosie. Thank you, man. That's Anthony Castrovince from MLB Network and MLB.com joining us with a winter meetings update. Stay tuned. More to come as we continue with our Game of the Week. That's next on the Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. Don't forget, if you want to check us out on Twitter, you can do so at Indians Radio is our Twitter address for all the information on guests on this show. And then, of course, as we get into spring training, any news and notes that you may need to keep tabs on Indians Radio broadcasts throughout the spring and on into the regular season in 2017. That's at Indians Radio the Indians Radio Network Twitter address. Time now for our Game of the Week as we continue during this baseball offseason looking back at some of the great games of 2016. And in the coming weeks and uh, the months ahead before spring training, we will get into some of those outstanding games in the 2016 postseason run for the Indians. But we still wanted to take a look back at some good games from the regular season. And uh, this one, not necessarily a dramatic ending. It came on June the 21st. 
The Indians were hosting the Tampa Bay Rays, but I think this game really summed up the type of season it was for Indians' ace starting pitcher, Corey Kluber. It was a 6-0 shutout victory for the Tribe. Kluber's second complete game shutout of the season, and he went on to win 18 games this year. His ERA, 3.14, finished eighth in the major leagues in strikeouts, more than 200 again, more than 200 innings pitched. That was eighth best in the major leagues and three complete games, two shutouts. I mean, everything you would look for in an ace starting pitcher, Corey Kluber provided that this season. So this game was kind of a a microcosm of that. And we'll hear some thoughts from Kluber that were, were interesting after that game especially as it pertains to what could happen ahead for the Indians. And he proved to be prophetic in terms of where the Indians might end up by the time the season concluded. So let's take you back to June the 21st, Indians hosting the Tampa Bay Rays. Now coming into this game, the Rays were struggling. They were eight and a half out in the American League East. They were 31 and 37, a fifth place ball club and, and really battling some significant injuries. So their lineup was somewhat decimated coming in. Meanwhile, the Indians were starting to really get it rolling. They were on win number four of what turned out to be 14 consecutive wins. They were 39 and 30 at this point. They had moved into first place in the American League Central Division, never slipping out of first place from that point forward. And the pitching matchup, Corey Kluber at 7 and 7 at this point against Blake Snell, who was making just his third major league start. We pick things up in the third inning. Jason Kipnis at the plate looking to give the Indians a lead. Snell is ready. Here comes the pitch. Swung on line drive to center field. Base hit. Coming home is Gomes. And now the ball gets by Jennings and goes to the track. Kipnis on his way to third. He's going to try to score. Kipnis on his way home. Throw to the plate. Hit first slide. He's safe. How about that? And the Indians have a 2-0 lead. On what should have been an RBI single. A line drive to center in front of Desmond Jennings. As Kipnis drove in Jan Gomes from second. With a two out base hit. And then Jennings had the ball get by him. And go all the way to the track. It'll be an RBI single for Kipnis. And then he scores from first literally. On the Desmond Jennings air. So a little excitement there to get things going for the Tribe. Then in the sixth inning, with the score still 2-0, Lonnie Chisenhall came through. The next offering, swung on line shot, base hit left center field. Ramirez will try to score. The throw to the plate from the center fielder Jennings is cut off. Jose Ramirez scores, and Lonnie Chisenhall does get the RBI single to make it 3-0. And another base hit by a left-handed hitter off this tough southpaw. Meanwhile, Kluber was rolling, just mowing down the Rays inning after inning, ending the top half of the seventh with a strikeout. Now the 1-2 delivery. Strike three call. He painted the outside corner, and Corey Kluber racks up strikeout number eight. He gets Dickerson looking. It's stretch time at the corner of Carnegie and Ontario. And the score, the Cleveland Indians 3, 
The Tampa Bay Rays, nothing. In the eighth inning, top half, there was more of the best of Corey Kluber. What a beautiful night here in Cleveland as darkness descends. The pitch swung on a miss. Another good off-speed pitch. He got Conger lunging. Nine strikeouts for Kluber. He is the master tonight. A one-hit shutout. And we go to the bottom of the eighth with the Tribe leading the race 3 nothing. Then in the bottom half of the eighth inning, the Tribe would put the game away thanks to one of their surprises over the course of the season and certainly in the early portion of the season, Jose Ramirez. The pitch runner goes, Ramirez with a drive! Deep right field! Gone! Jose Ramirez with his fourth home run. They've all come left-handed. And there goes that Rays bullpen again. Well, that's a game-breaker. A two-run home run to right by Jose Ramirez to make it 5 nothing Indians. And also contributing a, a key to the Indians' success early on in the season, third baseman Juan Uribe. The pitch. Uribe with a high drive. Deep left. Down the line she goes. Fair ball. And a home run in his fourth consecutive game. Juan Uribe had never hit home runs in three straight. Now he's done it four straight days. Six-nothing Indians on a blast down the left field line to the Budweiser home run porch. Wow, are the Indians piling it on. Let's start that parade in about five minutes. Then in the ninth, the only drama was, would Kluber be able to finish up a complete game shutout? Well, he gave up a couple of singles in the ninth inning to get things started, but Desmond Jennings came to the plate with Kluber having the opportunity to end it right there. Right-hander against right-hander. Kluber's ready. He deals. And Jennings, a swing and a chopper headed to short. Charged by Lindor. Gloves throws on the run to first. Ball game. And Corey Kluber has his second complete game shutout of the year. And this one even better than the one against the Detroit Tigers. Corey Kluber with a three-hit shutout. Two of the hits coming in the ninth. And the Indians are a 6-0 winner over the Tampa Bay Rays tonight. And the Cleveland Indians have now reeled off five straight wins. And now a season-high 10 games over 500 at 40 and 30. And now Tampa Bay has dropped six in a row, and they are plummeting fast. The next day, we had a chance to catch up with Corey Kluber and talk about his dominant performance. And we asked him if his approach is any different when it's going well as the game goes along. Yeah, you know, I think the simplest way for me to go about it is really just to try to to separate each inning as its own inning, you know, try to each time out there go get go get three outs and not let them score, and then you know when when that inning's over, you go in the dugout, you sit down, and then next time you go out there, it's kind of for me, it's start all over again. With that said, if you get that opportunity to get out there for the ninth inning, you, I would imagine you, you want to finish that thing and, and get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, you're obviously as much as you want to separate it. I mean, but yeah, obviously you can realize when it's when it's the last inning, things like that. Um, but, yeah, you know, obviously every time you get the ball, you want to stay out there as long as you can until they come and take it from you. And ideally that would be to finish the game. Obviously that's not always the case. But, you know, that's that's the goal every time out. 
And you're in a stretch where the rotation's really starting to, to get in one of those patented roles that we've seen before. And, and you feeling that from, from not only yourself but the other starting pitchers too? Yeah, you know, I think we've talked about it before. It's that, it's that momentum that kind of gets going. Uh, you know, one guy has a good good outing, and then the next guy tries to build off of that, build off of it. Not necessarily a, a competition between each other, but more so trying to keep the ball rolling, keep that momentum going, and, and kind of pass it along to the next guy. And the Indians playing very well here at home, and they're home at a time where uh, the city's obviously very excited about what's happened with the Cavaliers. Do, do you feel that in the clubhouse? Is there any type of carryover, at least excitement-wise, that, that you guys feel from the fans a little bit? Yeah, I mean we've had we've had great crowds here the last couple of weeks, and whether that's you know because of the excitement of the finals or the you know better weather, people are more comfortable with the game or whatnot. But uh, no, definitely. I mean, there's been a great energy here, and I think that there's there's a uh, you know, now that. You know the Cavs won it. It just kind of seems like around around the city, people there's there's almost that that feeling of belief as opposed to maybe in you know the the not necessarily wondering whether or not it it could happen. But now you know obviously they won a championship, and so it's kind of that belief like, well, we got one. Let's let's go get another one. And they make it sound so easy, like that. Yeah, the tribe's next. Just go out there and do it. But uh, you got a lot of baseball left, don't you? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I wish it was that simple as to just say it. But no, yeah, we got a lot of a lot of work left. You know, we're in a good spot right now. But I think that you know, big the big thing for us is going to be to continue to to feel like we need to always improve, not not necessarily be satisfied with where we're at right now, but keep in mind that you know the goal is not to be. 10 games over 500 in, in June, you know, and to make it to the postseason in advance when we get there. Corey Kluber joining us as uh, we continue here on Indians warm-up. Uh, a couple of quick notes. The team was wearing the Party at Napoli shirts uh, yesterday underneath their, their jerseys, I think, in some cases. Uh, when you think of Party at Napoli, is it, what's going on with these shirts? And anything behind it that you know about, or you just, do you just wear the shirt because it's Napoli? Yeah, more often than not, when somebody puts a shirt on your chair, you just, you just wear it. You know, we were told to wear them for BP yesterday, so guys wore them out there. But uh, no, I, I think I heard Nap say that, that there's a there's a cause behind it, so I'm sure it's it's a good thing. You can go yes or no on these. If Napoli hits a home run, is that a party at Napoli's? I'm going to go with yes, probably. Corey Kluber throws a shutout. Is that a party at Napoli's? Yes. Corey Kluber throws a shutout in Game Seven of the World Series. Is that a party at Kluber's? probably a party in Cleveland. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> we'll go with that. But uh, it's certainly it's part of that camaraderie. I know you've talked about it in the past. It seems like it's really good in that clubhouse, especially recently. Yeah, you know, I think that we've always we've always had that. And um, obviously when you're, when you're playing well, that makes it better. But I think that we have a, a group of guys who regardless, you know, we're not, we're not looking for somebody to blame. You know, it's always trying to pick each other up. And I think that goes a long way. All right, Corey. Thanks a lot for the time. Appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. Also the next day, Tom Hamilton, in his daily visit with tribe manager Terry Francona, talked about what a luxury it is for the Indians to have Kluber leading the staff. We've talked about Corey Kluber at times. Um, hard to believe he could give up eight runs in Kansas City, even though it wasn't all of his doing. And then, boy, last night, that looked like Corey Kluber once he got locked in from a couple of years ago. You know, I think we've all seen as Klub gets going, his confidence level rises and everything sort of falls into place. And when it does, he's efficient, but he's efficient with some wipeout stuff. I mean, you'll see guys go out there and strike out nine or ten, but, you know, balls are flying all over the place. Kluber is like boom, 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 and when he misses, you're kind of surprised. Every pitch seems to set up the next pitch, 
even when he runs a count full, there's you know, don't have to panic because he knows he has a breaking ball or you know a couple pitches he can throw for strikes. So he just keeps guys off balance. You know the times he's gotten in trouble, he hasn't been able to settle in, and they've they've hit his fastball early, and he just hasn't been able to settle in because once he settles in, boy, it's he's tough. Tito, he's always had the curveball, but it looked like last night he was taking more off of it, and it really had hitters off balance. I think from watching him, and again, I don't have the best view always of the the breaking pitches or a changeup, or but it looks to me like he can kind of shape it. And by that, I mean the speed and maybe the difference of the depth of his break when he's feeling good about it. And whether you call it curveball slider or in between, I think it's effective to different hitters because he does have a feel for maybe who he can throw a slower one to or who he needs to be maybe late and sharp. Because what he does have that's so effective is all of his pitches have late movement. That's why you see hitters fouling balls like over the dugout because it's like they throw an emergency swing because it's just got such good late movement. So the Tribe won it 6 nothing. Another look back at some of the great games of the 2016 season. And again, not necessarily a dramatic win for the Tribe, but a, a pretty good summation of the type of season it was for Corey Kluber. One of his best games in what turned out to be another outstanding season for Kluber, who finished third in the American League Cy Young Award race. Stay with us. When we return, we'll have some news and notes for you on some great ideas for the holiday season and some things coming up on your calendar here this offseason. That's coming your way next as we conclude with Tribe Talk after this timeout on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network. Welcome back to Tribe Talk. Jim Rosenhouse back with you from Progressive Field in downtown Cleveland. The holiday season in full swing, and if you're still looking for some great gift ideas, certainly stop by the Indians team shop here at Progressive Field. Regular hours during the weekend on weekends as well as we get closer and closer to uh, the finish line in terms of your holiday shopping. Some great bargains there, and of course the very latest on postseason gear if you didn't have a chance to pick any up during the great month of October at the ballpark. Also, if you're looking for a great stocking stuffer that keeps on giving throughout the baseball season in 2017, Indian six-packs are on sale, and they are going like crazy. Uh, The numbers way up this season in terms of demand for those six-packs. A couple of different avenues to to work with, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays on those six-packs that let you take advantage of the great fireworks shows at the ballpark on Friday nights, some of the great giveaways that will happen next season on Saturdays, and, of course, Key Bank Kids Fun Days on Sundays. So uh, three different varieties of those six-packs to choose from. So get your hands on them. You can do so by going to indians.com slash tickets or call 216 416- 420 hits and put this one on your calendar the indians announcing this week that tribe fest the fifth annual presented by key bank will take place saturday january the 28th from 9 to 7 9 a.m to 7 p.m new location this year again the ballpark unavailable due to some infrastructure improvements at progressive field so this year's event will be held at the Intercontinental Hotel. It's right near the campus of the Cleveland Clinic. And we'll have a lot more details for you on next week's show. But we can tell you that some of the early commitments, obviously this is uh, pending anything that comes up. But 
We look forward to seeing Cy Young finalist Corey Kluber, Indians closer Cody Allen, pitchers Carlos Carrasco, Josh Tomlin, Andrew Miller, Jose Ramirez will be in town, Roberto Perez, as well as Zach McAllister and Abraham Almonte, and many more as we get closer to the event. And tickets for this year's Tribe Fest will go on sale this coming week on Tuesday, December the 13th. So keep an eye out on Indians.com for all the details. General admission tickets, once again, $5 for adults and kids. And uh, those will go online starting uh, this Tuesday at Indians.com slash Tribe Fest. And then, of course, there's other options uh, to be a part of the autograph lines as well. Just go to Indians.com slash Tribe Fest for all the details. So some good stuff coming during this holiday season and beyond Tribe Fest January the 28th. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Tribe Talk. Hope you can join us again next week. We'll have another edition for you from right here at Progressive Field. Until then, this is Jim Rosenhouse reminding you that you've been listening to Tribe Talk on the Cleveland Indians Radio Network.